0: Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org.
1: And he came down with them and stood in the plain. And the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him, and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice you in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Awesome. Let's go into Luke chapter
0: six. So. We're introduced to this scene, and I want to give us the picture. So Jesus has been up on the mountain, and he's been praying. And then he comes down the mountain, And we have now one of his first sermons that he gives to the people. And this is a little side note, but if if you're, as the Jews would read this, if you're a Jewish reader reading this, knowing that Jesus is this promised Messiah, for Jesus to be up on a mountain and then come down to give his word to the people would all of a sudden give you a flashback to the story of Moses being up on Mount Sinai, hearing from God and then going down to the people to tell them God's words to them. So it's this Cool little picture of Jesus even fulfilling uh, this, uh, I didn't mean Moses, yeah, I meant Moses, of of Jesus fulfilling this this plan of the Old Testament. Perfect illustration of that. And so Luke records, he comes down off the mountain, there's this group of people there, and he has his disciples, and if, if we can set the scene, I imagine his disciples are right here, right in front of him, and then out is this multitude of people that have come because by this time, he is starting to make a name for himself. People have heard of him, so people come from all around to hear his words, and this is his first sermon. Now, we have a couple of accounts of this in the Gospels, right? In the book of Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. You guys read it from the book of Matthew. Luke will call it the Sermon on the Plain, or a level place. It's kind of funny, even how their perspective. So, so Matthew records it, and he's like, man, this was a great mountain, and Luke's a little unimpressed, like, "Nah." It's kind of a plane. It's really like a plateau. You know, I can can picture Luke, you know, looking around like, man, I thought the Rocky Mountains would be a little rockier than this, you know, John Denver guy. I think that's my second Ace Ventura, you know, uh, Jim Carrey quote in the past two sermons. So you guys can look that up later. We have two different accounts of this. And it's possible these were two different sermons, that Jesus kind of preached the same sermon in two different places and and included the words, but the accounts are a little bit different. You can read it in Matthew, but Matthew is a little bit longer, Luke's a shorter version of this, and Matthew will add kind of a heart level to all the things that Jesus is going to talk about. And so Jesus comes in on the mountain, and his first sermon, he starts like this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. One of the things they teach you whenever you learn how to do public speaking, those of you that speak publicly or learn how to do that, one of the things you're supposed to do at the very beginning of your talk is do something to capture the attention of the audience. Right? Story and illustration, something to give your people, your audience, a reason to listen. And talk about capturing the attention of the people. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus has just singled out the marginalized, outcast, down and out, and called them blessed. I can imagine the crowd is looking around like, what? blessed are you who are poor. Like he's joking, right? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of Jesus' shock value, and then he's going to say, well, actually, here's what I really mean. No, he's going to say, blessed are you who are poor. See, what has happened in here is Jesus is announcing his new kingdom and what this new kingdom will look like. Every other teacher would come, and he would give an interpretation of the old kingdom. Here's what is the old kingdom's like, and here's what it looks like. Jesus is saying now, no, there is now a new kingdom, and it's coming with me, and this new kingdom is going to be defined, defined by a complete reversal system. Blessed are those who are poor, that the kingdom of Jesus is good news to the marginalized, to the oppressed, to the poor to the sick. And he uses this term blessed, right? And if you're taking notes, the term blessed literally means happy or fortunate. Happy are the poor. What? Fortunate are the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is not going to tell us how to get into his kingdom. He's going to tell us the reality of those that are living in the kingdom, and the reality is going to look very different. It's really a tale of two kingdoms. So when I was growing up, I learned how to play guitar, my mom taught me all the hippie protest songs from the 60s. And uh, some of you that were around them may know the song, One Tin Soldier. Anyone out there? Yeah, like three of you. Look it up. And uh, it, it's an old hippie uh, protest war song, but it tells the tale of two kingdoms. There's a kingdom up on a mountain and a kingdom on a valley. And the kingdom of a valley want what is up on the mountain. It's this polarizing tale of two kingdoms. And Jesus is going to introduce this idea of two kingdoms. And here's the reality. Every one of us are a citizen of a kingdom. Every one of us. The question is, Which kingdom? And if there's ever a message that I am not preaching at you, but if I could sit right out there and preach it to me, it's today. Because as believers, here's what we've said, we are of the kingdom of Jesus, right? But one of the things you're going to find, just because you say you're of a kingdom does not mean you cannot come under the influence of a different kingdom. Are we there today? Okay, come on, I've been, okay, I've been listening to black preachers, and I am jealous, because their people are like alive when they're pre- Are we there? All right, come on now, come on. Thank you, thank you, all right. Woo. It's already warm in here, and you're gonna get me fired up. So I can say I'm of a kingdom. But the reality is, I think as we go through this, we will find that there's another kingdom that is constantly at war with my allegiance to the kingdom I say I am have allegiance to. And that kingdom pulls me. Tim Keller defines these, I I think a great illustration of these. He calls them the right side up kingdom and the upside down kingdom. Those are the two kingdoms. The right side up kingdom is the pattern of the world. It's all about the now. And the right side up kingdom is defined by power, riches, pleasure, comfort, success, recognition. Like that is the right side up kingdom. It is all about get yours. Life is for the now. Make, have as big of a state as you can have. Live for yourself. It's a right side up kingdom. And in my heart, oh man, that makes sense. Like, I constantly, constantly, constantly feel pulled to that kingdom. But Jesus is going to announce his kingdom, and it's an upside down kingdom. Words like sacrifice, discomfort, grief, meekness, humility, exclusion. Man, as I've wrestled through this sermon, I've written it about four different times. Because like in my flesh, I wanna try to find a way to soften this, you know? Well, Jesus actually means, but maybe he actually means what he says. And he lifted up his eyes to his disciples and he said, blessed are you for who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. And then down in verse 24, this is different than Matthew's account. Jesus will give blessings and then he'll give woes that are tied to each one. And in verse 24 he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now pause, here's all, I, I say this every time, here's always the temptation, all the caution, it's like, yep, see, we're close to Jesus, right? Look, all those, you know, I saw people driving with $50,000 cars here, yep, you're out, I'm in. Because I I drove up in my 1992 Toyota Corolla. I don't even know if they made those then, right? And I eat ramen noodles. day like, I'm in. By the way, ramen noodle thing, like now they're charging you $14 for ramen noodles in these hipster towns. you realize that? Yeah, I was in Nashville. It's like the cool thing is go pay $14 for ramen noodles. I'm like, that is a brilliant business plan. Because how much do those cost? Like 32 cents? Like there's the profit margin. So someone start that in town and give a lot of money to our church. (laughs) Now, Matthew will say this. Matthew will tie it not just to the physical, but to the spiritual. So Matthew will say this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so here's what often happens as people teach this text is they go one of two ways, right? If you're in the social justice camp... You're like, oh, blessed is the poor. That means the literal poor. And we gotta be all for the poor. If you're sometimes in the no theology, you gotta teach, oh no, blessed are the poor in spirit. We to go two different ways. Here's the question, which one is it? Yes. That's the answer, yes. Blessed are the poor. And this is a huge announcement because again, in this day, the poor were believed to be cursed by God. That's why they are poor. Can you imagine the religious teachers when they hear the words of Jesus, blessed are the poor, what? No, the poor are cursed, that's why they're poor. That's what they believe. How could the poor be blessed? Here's why, because if you're a poor person, you realize that everything is a gift. Like a poor person walking walk around thinking, man, look at me, I'm (laughs) self-reliant. No, a poor poor person walks around and says, if I don't have help from the outside, I will starve. Blessed are the poor in spirit. A poor in spirit is someone who walks around and not says, boy, look at all the good things I've done. Cleaned up my life pretty good. No, a blessed are the poor in spirit says everything that I have in my life physical, spiritual, anything, has been given to me by God. I have done nothing. That's poor in spirit. See, people that are poor understand their dependence and they understand their vulnerability. Like, look around. We're mostly middle-class crowd, right? Do we understand our vulnerability? one wrong turn coming out of here. The one thing the poor don't struggle with is their vulnerability. They understand it, blessed are the poor. There's a spiritual bankruptcy that comes with an idea of being poor, being poor in spirit, understanding that God owes me nothing, absolutely owes me nothing. that I am bankrupt, like my account of righteousness is completely empty. I have nothing to barter with God about. Zero, I'm spiritually poor. I'm at the mercy of God. Verse 21, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And verse 25, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Now, I imagine, let's kind of bring the original context. I, I think as he's teaching this, he's also looking right at his disciples. You see at that the beginning, he stood up and he said to his disciples. I think here's what he's communicating to his disciples. You have left careers. You have left Levi, a tax collector, a lucrative career. You have left Peter, your career as a fisherman, where you have plenty of fish to eat. And disciples, listen, there will be a day that you will be hungry. And there's a good day coming that you will suffer greatly. And all of the disciples die horrible deaths. You realize that, right? And so I think he's. He's talking directly to them, obviously for the benefit of them, for the benefit of us to understand what his kingdom is about. And he said, blessed are you who are hungry. Now, Matthew will say this, blessed are you who are hungry and thirst, and, and, and they'll tie it to this idea of righteousness. And here's the idea, blessed, happy, fortunate are you who have this spiritual hunger, this deep longing for God, this deep desire to um, live the way God has called you to live. Happy and blessed are you who want to feast on Christ, to learn that this, the satisfaction that we are all looking for does not come from a bigger insert whatever, house, boat, money, paycheck, whatever, that it comes from Christ. Emily and I were on a retreat this week with uh, some pastor from Act 29. Network. We went to Wisconsin. It was like 62 degrees. It was beautiful. And we're talking. We just got a chance just to talk and um, pray to a little bit. And we, here's what we both said. We may have lost a little hunger. Like we both kind of challenged ourselves and said, is there this deep longing not just for church and people of God, but as there's a deep longing to know Christ, and what's that mean? What's that look like? To feast on Him, to not put our hope in the now. And both of us saying, like, we may be full on the world, therefore not really full, and we need to press in and feast. Blessed are you who have a hunger now. And what's the promise? You'll be satisfied. Because we're all looking for it, right? I mean, we're all looking for satisfaction. Every single one of us is looking for something. This promise is, blessed are you who know where to feast, because you will find satisfaction. Verse 21, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. "'And woe to you who laugh now, "'for you shall mourn and weep.'" Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying we should walk around like, oh, I'm so sad. No, right? We should get with our friends. We should have a nice meal. We should tell stories. We should laugh deeply. That's not what he means by laughter. What he means by laughter, and, and as you look at in the Greek, this idea of, ha, ha, I'm on top. Ha, I can just pursue whatever I want, ha, <laughs> ha. I'll just go to hell one day, all my buddies will be there anyway. That's the idea of laughter. That mindset. And this idea of weeping is this direct reference to repentance of weeping over our sin. And here's what it'll say. The ones who laugh now, that just kind of live life for the now, I don't care, I'll just do what I want, I'll do what feels good, I'll just celebrate, party with all my boys. There will come a day that they will weep. And it may be in this lifetime, we've seen those stories over and over again. Or it may be later. But the invitation is for those that want to be satisfied, you know who's the invitation? Weep. Like evaluate our lives. Stand in the mirror and look and know yourself. The depths of yourself and weep for that. And not weeping, asking God, oh God, will you please? No, weeping, saying, God, this is who I am. I see the depths of my wickedness. I weep over that, but immediately looking up and saying, but when I see that, immediately I see Jesus who paid for that. And because now I don't have to make it up, I don't have to make up my righteousness, let me weep, let me repent, let me confess to other people, So that I may know you more, there's this invitation to weep. Christians, we should see the world, injustice in the world, and we should weep. I've been watching the news over the past few weeks. There should be a weeping in our soul for injustice. Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And then verse 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophet. Again, I think he's talking right to his disciples and he's saying, guys, listen to me. You will be rejected. You'll be scorned. You'll be beheaded. You'll be crucified upside down. You'll be boiled alive in oil. You'll be burned at the stake. But even in that day, There's a blessedness that will come. And what we find about the disciples and what you'll find if you read church history is most of the martyrs went to their deaths with joy. Like in the 1500, two pastors for preaching the gospel get convicted to be burned at the stake. They lead them to the stakes. They tie them up and both of the pastors kiss piece of wood they're tied to in preparation for the kingdom they will inherit. And this truth applies to us, blessed are you when people hate you. Now this doesn't give you an opportunity to act like a jerk. Sometimes you're hated because you're a jerk. I'm just being persecuted. No, you're not. You're a jerk. <laughs> Here's what we must know. There are two kingdoms. And if you and I want to live in the kingdom of Jesus, at some point in our life, the kingdom of Jesus will clash with the, with the kingdom of the world. Do you realize that? They are two incredibly different kingdoms. And if you try to live out your faith in this world, at some point it will clash with that kingdom, and you will suffer, you will be persecuted. And especially, especially, we have a lot of you that are trying to dive into ministry and looking at, well, how does God equip me to serve in his church, to do good out in the world? Here's what I promise you, you step into ministry, watch out, baby. You will be persecuted. I'm not just talking from non-Christians, as a matter of fact, some of the most toxic venom comes from others inside the church. you will be criticized. Here's the reality. You step into ministry, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna make a lot of mistakes. Been there, done that, I'll keep making mistakes. Your elders will make mistakes. You know what'll happen every time we make a mistake? Yeah, those guys are fools. Yep, you're right. You're right. Those guys don't know enough, yep. Guilty, check. So what are we supposed to do, Send our hands? Hey, guess what? You step into ministry, you know what you're going to do sometimes? You're going to sin. And boy, there'll be people just ready to watch you fall, baby, and kick you while you're down. Like the kingdom is not about sitting back and avoiding any type of interaction because I don't want to make any mistakes. I don't want to accidentally sin. I don't want to mess up. I'll just stay back. No. Jesus will say, no, step into it, and guess what? You're going to make some mistakes. Have you read about the disciples? Study Peter. He's a great one. I love Peter. But he looks at people like Peter and said, hey, blessed are you. Hear me, Hill City. If you want to make a difference in this world, you must let go of your idol of approval because you will not always have it. And a matter of fact, if you have it, you might ask yourself, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? He says, don't be surprised when you're persecuted. Don't be surprised when people mock you. But I watch Christians, and especially on social media, it's like, we are surprised, right? And so something happens to us, someone makes a comment, we get on Facebook and rant, oh my gosh, I can't believe this, are you surprised? Come on, are we surprised? We're trying to live out this kingdom that's at odds with the other kingdom. We're surprised when someone makes a comment and we feel we have to, about it to kind of get some people, oh no, you're good, you're good. No, Jesus said, don't be surprised. Here's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter five. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. Let me tell you, you wanna step into ministry? Let people hit you, you'll learn endurance if you're gonna stick with it. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So here's what happens as you step out and start doing things and trying to live out this kingdom here, you will be laughed at. You'll be criticized, but in that moment, it's not like, oh, you know, you're right. No, it's like, I have a deeper hope. Yeah, I'm getting criticized right now, but I'm going to rejoice in the suffering because this criticism is doing something in me. And on the back end of that, I'm going to be a little bit different man than I was a year ago. All some bumps and some bruises, but I'll be different on the back end. I'll be more like Christ. I won't make some of those same mistakes. we will invest in lies and see people change along the way. I'm going to keep going. It produces in you an endurance and a hope and a character. And so Jesus will say, rejoice. And notice what he says, because here's what we want to do sometimes with suffering. We want to say, oh, he's saying rejoice because one day you'll be in heaven, which is true. But look what he says. Rejoice in that day. What day? The day you're persecuted. So don't go to Facebook and rant. Go to God and say, God, thank you that you counted me worthy to suffer. And that in this suffering, you are doing something in me. You're producing something in me that's eternal. I'm going to evaluate my mistakes. Yep, did that wrong. Yep, that, no, that, yeah. But Jesus, even though your grace is sufficient, you use flawed people, I'm going to keep going. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who we, but what is the sum, what, what's he saying? What is Jesus saying here? Here's what he's doing. He's taking the world, the belief, this kingdom of the world, that's its right side up kingdom, and he's flipping it upside down completely. Saying my kingdom, for those of you who even want to follow me, my kingdom is at odds. It's directly opposite to the kingdom of this world. It's a reversal of our system of value. So uh, this summer is the summer of the wedding. I have like 14 weddings in three weeks or something like that. Did a wedding yesterday up in Columbia. Every single wedding, I never changed my sermon, so if you want me to do your wedding, just, it'll be the same sermon I always do. Because there's really one thing I have to say at a wedding, and I tell the couple this every time. So if you want, we can just do your wedding right now and just get it over with if you want, because this is your sermon, <laughs> Well, you got rings? Um, here's what I tell them. Marriage is defined by one word sacrifice. Anyone heard that sermon at wedding from me before? It's defined by sacrifice. Now, here's how most of us, every young couple, the reality, they're standing up on stage and here they're looking across one of the and I just see this like, oh, you're the best. And I'm just like, ha-ha, just wait a year. <laughs> Oh, I'll see you in counseling. And here's the reality: as much as I can say sacrifice, two 21-year-olds, you know what they know and what they think? You make me so happy. And for them, love is like this: oh, I'm so happy because of you. And here's what I want to tell them, like one day you know what your spouse is going to be, not someone that makes you happy, it's going to be someone that holds a big mirror and shows you all of your ugliness. For those of you who have been married a, a while, is not the word sacrifice, lay down your life for the other person. See, it's a complete reversal in value. In our world ap- approaches marriage relations, it's all about, oh, you make me so happy. And the gospel will say, hey, I get to lay down my life for you. So Jesus makes this strong announcement. I want us to hear it this morning to believers that the kingdom is different than the kingdom of the world. So you know my question. Which kingdom am I building? And that's why I didn't want to stand up here and do this sermon today. Because if I think about what takes up my time and my thoughts, my worry, my planning, is it not mostly my kingdom? (coughs) Like, let's be real for a second. The things that you and I worry about, like how many of you spend any time And don't you have to raise your hand worrying this week about, will I have food tomorrow? You know what we worry about? Man, can I afford to go on that vacation? Will I have enough in retirement? What? Jesus is talking to those of us that so quickly our minds can get wrapped up in this kingdom, we can start to believe that blessed are those who are self-sufficient. And here's what Jesus will say about those that are self-sufficient, those who just kind of live for today. He'll say, listen, they have a reward, but their reward is what they get in this moment. That's their reward, and that's the end of it. So whatever joy they can kind of squeeze out now, that's the end. And his promise is, if you invest in a different kingdom, you may miss out on some things today. But there's a deeper joy at the end. Like there's this great danger we have as people in our, in our modern blessed culture to think because of our modern conveniences, I'm, I'm just fine, I'm just fine. The right side up kingdom values comfort. Let me keep my schedule free. Let me keep my weekends free. The right side up kingdom Values pleasure, blessed are those who laugh now, like just suck it out of life. The upside down, or the the right set up kingdom values power, being on top. And the message for Jesus, when we focus on that kingdom, we actually become the most vulnerable. Like we would look at oftentimes a poor person, a down person, someone that lives this meekness and say, boy, they're vulnerable, watch out. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you have no idea what you're talking about. Because if the right side up kingdom is so good, how come so many celebrities drink themselves to death? Like right now there's someone wanting what you have. You know that? Like we're blessed people. And here's what they're saying. Man, if I could just have that and insert what you have, then I would be happy. (laughs) What would you tell him? Nope, that won't do it for you. Here's what we're doing. We're looking at someone else. Man, if I could just have that, then I will play that game the rest of our life. The upside down kingdom is sacrifice, generosity, righteousness, meekness, And I've been wrestling with this. Like, I'm sure this has been hard for every generation that's, that's heard these words, as generations has come and go. But as, we, as I take this to now, because I live in 2018, trying to lead a church, 2018, shepherd us together. Here, here's what I'm wrestling with. Why is this so hard for us to understand? Like, does this not sound like Chinese to you, blessed are the poor? Does it not sound like completely, like somewhere in our hearts is like, I don't like this, anyone else besides me? Here's where I think that this seems, as I've wrestled with this, why this is so off to us is because we are living in an unprecedented day and time where we are relatively free from pain. You realize that? Like, how many of you, and I want, I want you to think about this, I'm gonna ask for you raise your hand. Um, if you would have lived 200 years ago before modern medicine, Either you or someone in your immediate family because of um, childbirth, sickness, something that happened, how many of you would have lost someone in your immediate family if you would have lived 200 years ago? Raise your hand. Look around the room. I mean, praise God. Praise God for modern medicine, right? But living today, we don't know pain like generations have before. I mean, it was not uncommon to bury your child generations before. Go to some of these old seminaries, cemeteries, same thing sometimes. Go uh, you to know, some of these old cemeteries, and, and walk around and look at the tombs from the 19, early 1900s, late 1800s, and see how many two years old, one years old, six-year-old there are. And so living in a place with all this modern convenience, it's so easy for us to look and say, "You know what? It's not bad. Like, one thing, if you notice about the old hymns we sing, what's the last verse of every old hymn? Come on, what's the last verse? Heaven, right? You know why? Because it looked pretty good to him. And I'm faced with the facts, I'm wrestling through this over the past few weeks. Like, sometimes heaven doesn't look that good because I got it pretty good now. So hear me, we have to decide which kingdom are we on. Are we going to live in the kingdom of Jesus? And let's wrestle with this, like I hope some of you weren't duped into Christianity. I hope some of you weren't told, hey, just come down and ask Jesus in your heart and you'll just be blessed the rest of your life. Your bank accounts will be full, right? Mine's been on a diet for a long time. (laughs) Just come on, like it'll be great. No, I don't want us to make sure we're not duped into Christianity. Blessed are you when you're excluded, when you're poor, when you're empty, when you're broken. It's the kingdom of Jesus. Hear me, Hill City. If we say we're of the kingdom, may we understand, I'm talking to myself, may we understand where our hope is. Our hope as believers is not in a country A president, a financial institution, a political party, a better job, more money, a bigger retirement, a nicer house, a nicer neighborhood, a better car, a better education, more kids, a different wife, a better wife, a better... That's not our hope. Our hope is in a king and a kingdom. That's our hope. And this kingdom will come up against us because left in me, even though I'm a follower of Christ, like there's still this flesh, this inner part of me that remains that wants to build my own kingdom so bad. And the invitation of Jesus is to look at my life and reflect and say, which kingdom am I building? And when I find myself building the wrong kingdom, I don't have to hang my head in shame and sorrow and, oh, I'm a terrible, no, what do I do? I repent and graciously come back to his arms. That's what I do. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus Blood and righteousness, that is the kingdom of heaven. And we must preach that to ourselves all the time. This is why I want you to, like, I want you to set aside Sundays the best. I know you travel some and do that, but set aside Sundays the best you can because I, I, don't know about you, I need weekly reminder of my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness because 50 times a week I want to say my hope is built on how much my retirement is. It's this invitation of Jesus to orient our life around being a kingdom builder. So Jesus announces that his kingdom is here and now here's the invitation. I wanna make sure we see this. The invitation is to first receive the kingdom and then we bring the kingdom. Jesus said, pray it like this, your kingdom come, your will be done as in earth now as it is in heaven. There's this invitation among us to receive the kingdom and bring the kingdom. I automatically say receive first because here's a lot of times what happens is as as, uh, middle class, upper middle class people, we automatically think of ourselves as, oh, we're here to bring the kingdom. No, we first receive it because we are poor. We are poor in spirit. We are needy. So we first receive that kingdom and understand that this call is something that Jesus lived out for. It's like here's the gospel. Jesus became poor. Jesus became sick. Jesus became sorrowful. Jesus was cast out. He was in no reputation. He was crucified on a cross for you. Jesus fulfilled this for you. Do you realize that? Don't walk out of here saying, I gotta earn my way in the kingdom. No, no, no. This kingdom has already been fulfilled for you. In Christ. Everything that he says, he lives. So we first receive this kingdom. And then as we receive this kingdom, here's what the Bible teaches, that Christ lives inside of us. So we have this indwelling Holy Spirit, this presence of Christ that lives inside of us and empowers us now to put to death the old kingdom and live for this new kingdom. So we receive the kingdom. And then here's the call for believers, bring the kingdom. Bring the kingdom. Because we are free not to build a kingdom of this world, you know what we're free to do? Bring the new kingdom. Because we're free not to spend all of our time thinking about how bigger I can get my bank account, we are free to think about how can I bring Jesus' kingdom now. And so here is how the literal poor are blessed. You ready? Because people that have who are living in this new kingdom, look at the people that don't have and say, I will pour out my life for you. That's how the poor are blessed. How are those who weep blessed? Because those that have the kingdom, look at those who are weeping and say, I will come beside you and I will weep with you. I can't fix it, but I will cry with you. This upside down kingdom has a trickle down effect. But we, individually as a church, we will never bring the kingdom if we're focused on building the right-side-up kingdom, because they are odds at the two. So as a follower of Christ, here's what you're called to do: you're called to bring the kingdom. So I look out among us, and I see some people. Every time you adopt, you know what you do? You bring the kingdom. Every time you foster, I'll watch you guys run around chasing those kids everywhere, you bring the kingdom. Every time you cry with those who have been abused, you're bringing the kingdom. Every time you turn your head towards the oppressed and down and out, you're bringing the kingdom. Every time you give generously, and I'm not talking like 3%, here's 20, but every time you give generously... Like as a church, we've got, I've got to, not just to this church, in this city, we've got to give generously. The Old Testament call is 10%. We're like, well, we're beyond that. You're right. 14, 15, 16. Yeah, it stings, doesn't it? Me too. Like this invitation to blessed are you who give generously. Do we believe him? Every time you break down racial barriers, you bring the kingdom. Every time you cross cultures that are not comfortable for you to cross, you bring the kingdom. Every time you touch the leper of our society, you are bringing the kingdom. Like this invitation of Jesus is people who are living such a different pattern of their life, a different kingdom, that those around them have this incredible blessing that shows them and reveals this new kingdom. That is the call. And this is a corporate call as well. Hear me, Hill City. It'd be so easy for us to build our kingdom and call it church. And as elders, we've been talking and praying and we're, and we're trying to draw land, a line in the sand and we're trying to figure out where that line is. Everything in me wants to build a kingdom. But as we start to talk about how to be a church that can make an impact in this city, there's this mirror that says, it's not about us and I don't like it. Like if we're gonna make an impact in the city, it doesn't mean we show up in neon shirts once a year to do something. It means we invest our life into something. See the difference? Neon shirts say, hey, we're here to give you something because we have so much. People in Best Life come beside and get down and say, I am just like you. We're no different. I'm just as needy as you are. I'm just as broken as you are. I'm just as prone as you are to screw up my life. Let's walk together. That's the kingdom. So as present readers of this sermon, here's what we have to do. If, I mean, if we're truly wrestling with are we Christ followers or not, here's what we have to do. Which kingdom am I building? And again, I'll tell you, please don't leave here saying, oh, i got to make up for lost time. i got to do all these things. No, you don't. You evaluate your life you repent where you need to and you trust on the finished work of Christ. Can I stress that enough? But what we can't do is say, well, I can trust on the finished finished work of Christ and never really evaluate my life. We can't do that either. We must ask ourselves whose kingdom we are building. And understand as we're building this kingdom that there's this final revelation of the kingdom. I want to make sure we understand this. Like Jesus will say say that the poor will always be with you. There will always be poor people. Until one day Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom forever. And in that day, all will laugh. All will shout for joy. All's head will be lifted up. Who are of that kingdom? Which kingdom? Individually, as a family, Let's think about our week. Let's think about the hours this week. Let's think about the mental focus. Which kingdom? And again, hear me guys, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. I'm sitting right there with you. Here's a final verse I wanna leave us with. Colossians three. Set your minds on the things that are above not on things that are on earth. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your mind on things above, that's the kingdom. Not on things of the earth, that's the right side up kingdom. Why? For you have died. You realize that, Christ follower. When you signed up for this thing, you know what you did? You died. And your life now is hidden with Christ, the same Christ that became nothing. Read Ephesians. Who took on the form of a servant, had humility, became the weakest, was like that's, your life is hidden in that Christ. And then here's the future hope for when Christ, who is your life, appears, then blessed will be the poor. Blessed will be those who are sad now because you will also appear with him in glory. May we evaluate which kingdom. And then may we repent into the gracious, loving hands of God. Let's pray together. Let's evaluate for a second. Cry out to God. Let loose of your worry and anxiousness that's all about this kingdom. Trust him with it. Let go of your hope of retirement and trust him that he's better. Let go of your hope in more free time this week and trust that he's better. Let go of another show on Netflix and trust that investing in someone is better. God, may we trust you. We confess as believers here, it's a body of believers that we are so easy to be about our kingdom. We all confess that together and we throw ourselves on your mercy. We look in the mirror and we say, Jesus, we are wretched worms that so easily want to build our kingdom. We throw ourselves on your mercy, and immediately as we do, we look up and we say, but God, who is rich in mercy, while we were still sinners, bringing our own kingdom, died for us. We plead that, may we believe that, and then now may that lead us, give us a freedom now to trust you, and to live for your kingdom. May we repent individually and as a body of believers. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.